Welcome to Black Insight, the global news and current affairs podcast about black people by black people. I'm Sonia Fode. Um, I am Jude Ferromi Kolawoliade Jung. My friends call me JFK. Uh, I'm co convener for Raising New Voices Initiative, which focuses a lot on helping to raise a different generation of leaders, uh, political leaders for our country. Um, we, we absolutely believe that the, the problem with Nigeria is mostly leadership, uh, the quality and the caliber of leaders that we have, uh, and uh, the, the kind of leaders that have the political will to design institutions for our country in a way that you know, we, we want to march forward towards that ideal, towards the Nigeria of our dreams as it were. Uh, we think those leaders do not exist or they exist in very, very minute quantity in our country. And that there's a lot of lamentations about uh, how we don't have good leaders and how we don't have good leaders and how we need good leaders. And it doesn't seem as though uh, there's a lot of activity in uh, raising those leaders, which is why we then set up raising new voices. Um, I also run uh, an innovation policy firm, Founding Networks, uh, which largely just focuses on innovation policy, uh, consulting for companies and for government officials and departments and agencies. Uh, so we work a lot with volunteers across the country, work a lot with lots of passionate young people um, at raising new voices to deploy our programs and our fellowships and all the, all the programs that we designed to, to move the needle forward on, how can we get more competent leaders in power? My name is uh, Mokshala Abdullahi. I'm based in Abuja. Uh, I'm a global shaper with Abuja Hub. Uh, I work with Human Angle, a media company that, that uh, tells the stories of victims of conflict and security and uh, also helps people to understand the dynamics and the trends uh, behind the security and conflict uh, in Nigeria and other parts of the Sahel. I also spoke to SARSwatch. They prefer to remain anonymous. People are always tweeting um, SARS uh, uh, whereabouts sporadically. Do you get so like, I mean, I see them. Before I create the SARSwatch, like I see them, I see the, I see the tweets and then people retweet and then it goes viral. Maybe someone else will make a video, like just little pockets of tweets here and then. I'm like, someone can actually take it up and put themselves to just tweets where they are all day. So like, before you go out or you're on the road, you can just, oh, what's up? Let me just scroll through this tail and I see where they are today so I can avoid getting shot or getting robbed or getting uh, extorted from. So that's yeah, so that's why I created it. And then October 2, I was scrolling on Twitter and then I saw an account. The account is SAS underscore is underscore here, like SAS is here. And I'm like, wow. His own tweet was to raise awareness about related, like the same thing, but like a different name. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And the page was created on October 1. So October 2, I'm like, cool, let me join this guy. And I create my own SARS water. And then I DM him that, what's up? Like, good job you're doing. And then 
Uh, we both started to tweet start start stuff to October three. Then his page, or, or no, to October five or four. Then the guy's page started to say now got suspended and they couldn't get it back. So that's why I'm still here. But that guy, I don't know his name. I had never even met him. But that guy was like a major. Uh, give me more boost. That's what I'll say. When I saw him do it, I'm like, great. So let's just do it. So let me just do my own. So, so his page went down in two days. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but he lost the page. You get so big up to that guy wherever he is, man. For the people that are quite pessimistic about the political possibilities in Nigeria, do you think that their feelings are justified or do you think that there is a lot going on that they should be optimistic about? People are rightfully pessimistic. I am. I'm very pessimistic, but I'm just happy that, yes, there's a voice. We, as we, as we, as young people in Nigeria, we said, you know what, fuck it, let's do this, let's protest, let's see answers, let's, let's shut down the country for a month, let's do something, let's do something. Yes, people are very, very pessimistic because it's Nigeria. It is Nigeria, Nigeria is, uh, please. I think that there is a lot going on that that they should be optimistic about. I also think that there is a lot that could be going on. You have a caucus of young people or even middle-aged people who go into parliament, have an agenda, and say, this is what we're going to try and put in place, right? Of Of a people who go there in groups, not just one person. And then the entire oversight functions that belongs to the committee, you see that the that kind of work is getting done, you will feel some impact. And then you will do some more. And then you see some change. But if we have the situation whereby we're looking forward to outliers, people who are very competent, charismatic, and say a word, can hold their feet on the ground, right, to get in there, and then you put all our hopes there, basically just like the way we put all our hopes in President Buhari, right? And he gets there, and then, I mean, it's just one guy out of a lot of other people. It gets overwhelmed. You see, change doesn't happen. Of course, you become pessimistic. So the kind of effort that needs to go into the kind of Nigeria that we desire to see is a group effort. It's the kind of effort that says we want leaders, we want better leaders. We're not going to say that our, our, our uh, dreams for a better Nigeria is dependent on one person. It's, it's a lot of burden for one person to carry. So you need a group of people, a caucus of leaders going in there with one single vision, saying this is what we're going to do to change this country. And when they get there in droves, you see that it is easier to make that kind of change happen, and it is easier for people to now see the impact. And then say, yes, our country is moving forward towards a, a, a possible past, and then we can see hope in the horizon. And then we can need to, we then need to do more of that and get this kind of competent leaders in office. And then change starts to become a reality. That's that's my take. Lots of Nigerians are aware. Uh, they want change. So I think uh, we are not at that stage. We have moved past that stage of a key uh, Nigeria because we're getting people really involved. Uh, people involved in activism, people involved in the development sector, 
but the efforts are either uh, people are getting involved in activism, development sector, tech space, but their efforts are being capped or or suffocated by a political system that isn't working effectively uh are working effectively for just a micro few uh just sorry very few but people and so really uh the enable environment uh, which also involves really having a law enforcement that works uh is part of the enable environment having power having uh financial support having an education system that that really prepares nigerians for that really prepares and supports Nigerian for the emerging world. Uh, I think the world is seeing lots of changes. And post-COVID, there will be lots of changes uh, in terms of how the economy of the world works. And are we really getting ourselves prepared for that era? Uh, there's lots of a financial crisis in the country as the oil is no longer as relevant as it was some few decades back. And so how to really accommodate that uh, the fall in oil prices and revenue to improve livelihoods of the people. The demographic, the population is uh, is still rising, and the demography are mostly young people. So, how do you really accommodate this population of people, ensuring that uh, you don't just have young people without skills, without jobs, that you have majority of the young people being productive and good for the country, good for the sub-region, and also good for the world, uh, because the stable Nigeria is important for the sub-region and then generally for 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 also the world, because in terms of uh, the economic impact and on all other things. It's not just a Nigerian issue in terms of how young people really feel about uh, governance. Uh, it's a, the continent-wide issue. Uh, we saw the Arab presence from a few years back, which was also heavily young people really uh, but the path they took was di- is kind of different from some of the paths we've seen, uh, where people reading other parts of the world are taking other kind of steps. Here we saw the not too young to run bill. It was a bill to drop the age of people who could po- aspire and uh, for political office. And I think this was also a very important step. Uh, it, it may take time before we really see uh, more young people in political office. Uh, then also we need rep- more female representation uh, because. Yeah, uh, if someone like a uh, New Zealand leader uh, can really show that, and New Zealand Germany can really show that, yeah, pro- probably what we need are female leaders to really help us fix, uh, uh, really help us get through some of these uh, bad situations that we've been in. And so we really, really not mean more representation, not just of young people, but of also. Uh, young female uh, politicians, young female technocrats and all that. And so, yeah, the key, I think, is really having more young people coming out to really uh, take part uh, and take charge of the situation, uh, get them involved with the conversation, having a seat. And if the seat is not there, you drag your seat and be part of the conversation if on in any space, be it tech, uh, development, politics, and all that. I, I I think that the key to change again is leadership. His leadership. Today I saw uh, a news item uh, on Twitter about six 
officers of Amotekun in the southwestern part of Nigeria, specifically in Oyo State, uh, who had been dismissed from uh, the police force, from the, from the force, the Amotekun force, I don't know what we call it, right? Um, they've been dismissed from being members of that force, their guns uh, removed uh, from them, and then handed over to police for prosecution. Uh, because the six officers were involved in the killing of the 21-year-old um, you know, your state. Now, that is, that is unfortunate um, that, the, that the lady was, the person was killed. I don't know if the person was a lady. That the person was killed. But what you see there is that there is a, there is a leader taking responsibility for justice for that young lady. And not just taking responsibility in that sense, but also making sure that people know that these things have happened. One of the things that SARS officials usually say when they go around harassing young Nigerians is that I will do what I'm going to do to you and nothing is going to happen. And that's the truth. Nothing was going to happen. Nothing ever happened. So uh, the way forward in, in tackling police brutality of these issues um, is, is leadership. We need a leadership that's committed to ensuring that young people in Nigeria can continue to live their lives without being harassed. We don't have that now. I don't get the impression that we have that right now. Um, uh, in your state, you see that there's a leader there who's committed to saying, I will take, in fact, when um, Amateku was inaugurated in your state, he said that I will take responsibility for this force, uh, for securing our people. And what has happened? While it is unfortunate uh, for the family of the young uh, person who was killed, right? You see that this is a leader who's taking responsibility, who's who's staying to the commitment that I that this force is set up to secure the people, not extort them, not kill them, not maim them, not imprison them, not um, you know a couple of other things that SARS officials do. Um, up to now, I can, I, I can tell you that I am not sure that SARS has been banned because I think on New Year's Day, a video was circulating about SARS officials whom the high GP of police came on national television uh, in front of, of the press to announce that they've been banned and their names have been changed and they, a lot of reforms are going on. A video was circulating almost on New Year's Day saying that SARS officials chased somebody into ShopRite and were brutalizing him, and then the people said enough was enough, and they were not going to allow them to take him away. So if, if SARS had been banned, how come these people are, are doing what they're doing? How come they're still operating? You know, that's, that's, that's evidence of leadership that you cannot trust leaders, um, evidence of leadership that inspires nothing but mistrust in the citizenry. Uh, and with that kind of leadership, they reform, there's no reform that can happen. Um, um, none, in my opinion. And that's, that for me, that's a way forward. We need a leadership that, that cares. That's, that's what I think. For, for almost eight years now, I've been involved in advocacy um, around the country, like from the north to the west, like every part of this country. Um, um, and 
no one who was working in the civil society space could have curated the kind of movement that happened in October. Nobody could have sat down somewhere and designed it and said, this is what I want, or this is what we want to make happen, and uh, then put the instruments in place and then ensure that it happens. Nobody could have done that. There is no advocacy in this country that, at least in recent time, in fact, or even up till from 1999, when uh, the Fourth Republic started, that was able to culminate and bring together young Nigerians at that level. NSAS was happening in almost all the southern states in the country. Now, if that could happen, if all that, all that energy was put to uh, use for one campaign issue that everybody could agree was a problem that needed to be solved, and this problem still exists even as we speak right now. You know, then there has got to be a different solution to getting a better society in Nigeria apart from advocating for change. And for me, it comes back to that discussion around leadership. You know, in a democracy where we all agree that these are the, these are the rules of the game, these are the things that we should do. These are the things that we should not do. This is what government is responsible for. This is what government isn't responsible for, right? This is what our, this is what we can expect from our leaders. In a society where this does not exist, where you don't have the kind of leaders that live by these same rules, then you can you would see that this kind of advocacy that you had with answers and this kind of um, 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 agitation that you had will yield nothing. So. And that, for me, was surprising. I, I, it was surprising for me that even at the height of that campaign, that these things still did not change. That the government just kept on uh, uh, um, lip-syncing reforms, right? And not, not doing anything, you know, uh, concrete. You look at the panels, the judicial panels that have been set up, right? And you see how they've made an entire mess of it. You look at the National Human Rights Council, and you see how the council does not even have a board, you know? So at the height of that campaign, with Nigerians storming out, and you see a lot of all the aftermath of that protest with people then with hoodlums and taking over the streets, going after politicians' assets and burning it all down, and still nothing has changed. That's, that's surprising for me. It is. What can young Nigerians and more generally Africans or black people in the diaspora, what can we do to help the situation or help people on the ground? Um, um, first, you know, usually when I try to answer this question in interviews and podcasts, I'll say support organizations who are working to make change happen. So if you want to do some advocacy, if you see an organization that's doing some advocacy, send them some money, 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 money. I, I think we should stop getting ashamed uh, of talking about that um, or cautious of talking about that. Yes, there are risks of organizations that get your money and don't do anything, right? Um, um, but even at that, it, it, it's a risk worth taking, right? Maybe do some background checks before supporting an organization. Uh, and like I said before, I would have said, you know, support organizations that are doing advocacy. But look at what happened with answers. 
if you supported an organization to do that kind of advocacy and make that kind of thing happen in Nigeria, and then you see that with that kind of energy and agitation and activity and almost shuts down that happened in the entire country, nothing still changed. You become pessimistic and say, you know what, all this money we're giving to all these advocacy organizations, they're not working. And why are they not working? Because we don't have leaders that are reasonable within the context of democracy. We don't have leaders that agree with you that when you protest and you have numbers on the streets, right, these people want something and you should give it to them because it's democracy. We don't have leaders that believe in that. So my answer to this question now would be to put money together and support young, competent, compassionate people to get in the office, period. One of the campaigns that will be starting in, in, 2020, in 2021 this year will be trying to get some money into an investment fund. Like anybody that wants to give us money, uh, we'll put that into an investment fund that would uh, um, uh, materialize by 2023 that we would then use to support candidates who are running for office, who are young, and commit to a certain legislative agenda, right? And we did that in 2019 with 25 young people. We're going to do it again in 2023. And we're going, to do it again, we're going to do it for as long as we need to get competent people into office, right? And in the hopes that we'll get the kind of money that we need to wage campaigns so that reasonable leaders can get into office, period. If we don't have leaders that would even listen to you and say, yes, you guys are protesting, what do you want? Then to what extent can you want to advocate to those kind of leaders? So... What can diasporan Africans do? And this is not just for Nigeria, actually. Right? This, is, this is for any African country that uh, diasporans are looking to see some change happen. Support competent leaders in the office. Uh, put money together. Raise, raise like, groups and say, we're going to send $100,000 to support 10 people. We're going to, we're going to raise 50... I mean, GoFundMe is easier if you're, if you're outside the country. Right? Maybe outside the continent. So we're going to raise one, $1 million to support 20 people to get into office and push forward an agenda that we know is going to change the country. That's what I think the aspirant should be doing. Official development assistance to Nigerians is a part of our budget. Like if you go to the Nigerian budget and go and look out where revenue is going to come from, right? There's a whole year there. Money that some people... Some white people, let me go, let me go for colonialism language now. Money that some white people have paid in taxes will be sent to an African country like Nigeria and it will form a part of our budget so that we can give our people roads and water and electricity. Now, 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 what kind of, what kind of moral authority do you have or do we have to come now and say, after collecting that kind of money, to fund our budget and provide water for our people and, and healthcare and do conditional cash transfer for the poorest of us, and then say that them imposing sanctions on us is colonialism. If us collecting money from them to feed our own people is not colonialism, then how come uh, 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 them imposing sanctions on you for reforms that they say you should do is colonialism? You see what I'm saying? So, 
it's it's for me again, like I said, I I, I don't see it as like, it's just it's just like you know, he who pays my body takes the tune, um, um, and we've gone away from the era of hard power and um, brutal power, trying to control a country and a country resources through guns and the military, right? Those were the days of um, um, the Berlin Conference and um, empire building, right? These days, it's, it's soft power. And you see what China is doing in Africa right now, you see that it's a lot of application of soft power, right? Uh, that United States and other countries are also trying to use. Yeah, so in, in the end, it's, it's, it, go, it comes back again to the question of what kind of leaders, what's the caliber, what's the quality of leaders that we have in Africa in that, that mandate so that gets us to a position where uh, um, people who are also human beings don't have two heads who tell us that this is what we should do and we don't do that, they will not allow our leaders to come to their country. People really wanted uh, to hold certain individuals accountable for their actions and inactions, and they do not really feel confident that the system within the country will hold people accountable. And so they wanted uh, uh, these international networks to report it. And when they do, uh, when they do report it, then maybe uh, such individuals face one form of sanctions and the other. Uh, there was debate even on in the UK Parliament about the NSAS protest uh, and also possibility of sanctions. Uh, but generally, uh, the US Secretary, uh, the outgoing US Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, the UK go- government officials all made statements in relation to the NSAS. And this is most likely because of the kind of huge social media conversation that was on and also uh, how these networks in their own countries uh, uh, ported the issue. So mostly these governments across the world, especially the Western government, do not really, uh, especially at this current era that we are, not most government really pay attention to what's happening in other countries. They are, they are bogged down with what they are, what they are facing is that the COVID crisis and all that. And also so the fact that how the Trump administration is not that kind that has really helped in terms of uh, ensuring that uh, uh, the U.S. and Western countries really keep attention of what's happening in other places, uh, unlike what we do know that the U.S. government does uh, in former administration where the U.S. government really comes out in, with the issues around human rights and all that, uh, even though, yeah, people question the U.S. itself in terms of its human rights record uh, because of its war engagement and other issues across the world. So people really wanted it to hold certain individuals accountable and they felt like the best people could do that for them since they do not believe the system within the country could deliver that was the, the Western uh, countries uh, like the US and the UK. I think generally people want to be safe in their own country, in their own streets. People want to be able to go about their daily lives without having a fear of a bullet hitting them or them getting extorted for no just cause or whatever for their looks people people are tired of that like people are really tired of that because already money is hard to make money is hard to make even if you are doing fraud it's still like serious work do you get so people want to be able to work and not have to think about oh i'm going out today i'm not wearing a black shirt because if i wear a black shirt they'll think i'm a courtist but i'm not put on 
Air Force or Air Jordan, so I don't, I mean, like, ugh. So I think, first of all, this is what people want to happen first. People want to be able to go about their daily lives and not have to encounter such. And then even, even where they're not encountering such, they also want to be safe. For some reason, um, after the SRS protest, um, I think, yeah, a month after, November, the streets of Lagos, empty, no police officers on the road. And people were like, why are these guys on, not on the road? Yeah, like for real, like, even no no, no persons in uniform were on the streets in Nigeria. Police, LASMA, VIOF, everybody, Nigeria was just, sorry, Lagos was just moving on vibes. You get so, insecurity doubled, tripled. Like right now, you can't even, <laughs> man. So like these are the things people want to see like they should curtail the security issues in Lagos State so for starters and in Nigeria as a whole. Of course, you know about the headsmen is not you get so yeah, people want the government to really tackle the insecurity issues, it's getting out of hand. Especially in Lagos that we all thought was safe, because I mean capital city, commercial city, whatnot. It's no longer safe. And such protests have been police not to be on the road again, at least. It's not like the OCS thoughts, but at least to allow hoodlums or street urchins to take over the roads. Lucky Ekwe is few the street street urchins. I will have, for the past three months I've been, I've been plying the roads like regularly and then wow, what I see. It's just a time bomb. It's a matter of I don't know, another uprising to start or nothing to just make these guys angry and then they go may it will be mayhem. Again, because these boys, these hoodlums, they are on the road. They are on the road. They are not even shy. They are out there on the road. So, and it is the, it is us that climb out for answers that will still be the ones to suffer it when the police, ah, God damn it. So, first of all, uh, they should tackle the security system in Nigeria. They should the insecurity system. They should like work on it and then try and make lives in Nigeria safe. Do you get so? I asked my guests what they'd like Nigeria to look like in the future. Okay, so um, I would I would I would give you a summary answer. Uh, on our website, raisingnewvoices.org, we have a, a detailed document that describes, that answers this question actually, um, and describes what we want Nigeria to look like by the year 2050. Uh, and the answer is simple. Um, for me personally, I think Nigeria can be the innovation capital of the world. Are leveraging on the fourth industrial revolution by by the year 2050. We have a lot of young people. Actually, that also applies to Africa. Uh, we have a lot of young people um, that we can use the power and the force of technology to drive real uh, industrial change across the world um, in all the sectors. All the sectors. Uh, Africa, for example, has horrible land much more than almost any other continent. Um, the northern part of the, of the continent has uh, uh, a lot of resources for solar 
powered energy. Uh, uh, a lot of young people with a mind that if you if you educate them, that's a that's a pool for creativity. Um, and so, I mean, very very simple terms. I think Nigeria. I believe that Nigeria can be the innovation capital of the world by 2050. Um, um, in all areas, in all sectors, uh, because of the hedge that we have. Um, now, if that's going to be a reality, it means that we're going to need as many leaders um, who share this vision uh, and who are going to be able to put in policies that uh, will ensure that this happens uh, by that year 2050, uh, driving economic change, economic productivity, uh, and the participation of the average Nigerian in what a vision is for the country. Uh, um, I mean, it's a document on raising new voices. Um, .org. You would see on the resources. You see what the vision is. Uh, uh, it is like almost like a uh, a twenty three page document um, that really goes into detail of what what we want Nigeria to look like. But I think that's the summary. Yeah. What do you want to happen next in Nigeria? Now that's a question I can answer. Um, and I can also answer on behalf of young people in my organization um, who have, have seen what we're trying to do and have come close to us and have said they want to be involved. Uh, and because the reason they do that is because they also want the same things that we want. And for me and these young people, it's simple. We, we want a Nigeria where leadership, uh, competent leadership, compassionate leadership, um, and a leadership that's character-driven uh, exists in our country. Uh, uh, if you ask the average young Nigerian outside there, not even the average young Nigerian, ask the average, take a poll. Right, and say what? What do you want? Um, um, what if there's one thing that you think you want as a Nigerian? What would be? What would you be? And the answer would be good leaders, um, and not just good leaders, good political leaders uh, who can stand for the people, who can fight for the people, who can give the, the Nigerian people a vision and say this is where we're going to be in the next twenty years, and we need all hands on deck to make it happen, uh, and then ensure that everybody is getting to be a part of that vision and realizing that vision. Uh, in, in a society that works, in the end, that's what whole Nigerians want, not just young Nigerians. Um, but much more importantly, I think I should say this. If you are asked to define uh, Nigeria as a country today, 2021, January, if your answer does not include Nigerians and me, uh, mostly young people that are 25 years old, then it's a wrong answer. Because the Nigeria that we know today is a Nigeria that is massively 60-65% young people under 25. The key to change in Nigeria is certainly a change. Change of government, change of the youth. The youth needs to get involved in politics. We can't keep saying uh, answers, answers, but when it's time to vote for people, uh, everybody goes back to texting on social media. So, like, we need to take charge. I really love the fact that we all came out for the protest. I mean, like, wow. Reno, Feminist Coalition, awesome. Uh, macaroni, like, 
Dotson, Fowl's the bad guy around town. Like everybody really came out and then this is like what we need. We need to go we need to take like a step further, you get like we need to take it by force. We need to be aggressive. Like this is our life, man. No matter how no matter how many of us wants to travel abroad, I want to travel abroad, but my siblings are here, my cousins are here. I wouldn't want to be in another country and then I hear that oh they tried to stop my cousin of fifty K because he's wearing Apple Watch Series 5 or Series 2 or Series 3 and then maybe he doesn't have at the time or he just refuses not to not to succumb and then he's dead. Most Nigerians want to see things change. Uh, uh, it's a 50-50 stop. Sometimes you feel you're hopeful and then sometimes you don't really feel the system is going to change uh, because of the kind of people that are still there and the kind of policies and that you get to see. Uh, so it's a 50. Sometimes we are hopeful. Sometimes we don't really feel confident that things will change. Uh, but what really gives us confidence and hope is uh, is the driving spirit of a lot of young Nigerians uh, doing amazing things in the small spaces uh, and then collaborating with each other. And so even if the government is not going to provide that enabling environment, the political system is not going to do that. And then young Nigerians really doing it for themselves. Uh, and areas where the, where the policies of the state going to is an obstacle, uh, finding how to circumvent it and then bring down these barriers. Uh, but yeah, the time that is wasted in trying to bring down these barriers will have helped them move forward in terms of the time and investment. And so, yeah, it's important that the government really sits up and 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 that, but that will really involve an entire change of uh, of the view of the government and those in government how they really view the the young young people, what they need, what their future should be like. Uh, what the future of the country should be like, uh, not really, and understand the fact that, okay, so for instance, we have a lot of young doctors leaving the country to work in the UK, Canada, and so many other places, and then you don't, shouldn't really see that, okay, let these people go, uh, we have lots of doctors. Uh, but really, it's about understanding why these young people leaving, uh, it's about the fact that the working environment in Nigeria is not conducive, uh, there are not spaces for you to improve your tech, improve your uh, medical skills uh, or work in an environment that uh, that's good for you and the patient also you're looking after. And so these are things that we should be looking uh, to. Uh, and well, in general, in a, in, a, in a globalized society where migration is also not a problem, yeah, we could say, okay, let's find people to migrate to other areas uh, to work, uh, but really it should not be that people are migrating because one, the situation in the home country are bad, is bad, the economic situation, the condition of service and all that. It should be that people are migrating because really they just, they, they, they're migrating because they want a new, a, a, new, a new environment. And I think migration is important for the world. Uh, we've seen lots of positive uh, positivity around migration where people go to other places, invent new things that helps to solve problems in those societies where they contribute and all that. So really people should migrate because they want to, not because really they are forced to.
uh, yeah, so generally we're, we're hopeful because we're seeing the spirit of young people, but generally the government is not giving us that confidence. Nigerians are calling for proper accountability. Corruption and brutality often go unchecked and they have had enough.